Hola, yo soy Margarita y estás escuchando Limehouse Podcast. This is Paddy Ashdown and you're listening to the Limehouse Podcast. What a good name that is. Hi, I'm Tom Brake and this is the Limehouse Podcast. Hello, this is Nick Clegg and you're listening to the Limehouse Podcast. I hope you enjoy it. Because I'm not persuaded by the case for war. This is what positive politics can do. So guys, how you doing? Yes, you've had two podcasts in a week. This is crazy. It's almost unheard of. In fact, it is unheard of in the Limehouse podcast. I hope you've been well. It's been a crazy old week, hasn't it? We've had Patel and Johnson and we've had the Paradise Papers. So we, we've just had to call in, uh, we've had to call an emergency podcast, you, you could say, and, and to discuss it. And what better way to discuss it than with George Turner and Tom King, both having worked in investigative journalism uh, and done a lot of work in the, in, in, in the arena of specifically on the Paradise Papers. George has been knee-deep in this whole issue this week. He's been part of the, the team of journalists that have, have worked hard on bringing this to the, the, the public domain. So George's got some amazing points on this, and I hope you really enjoy it, because this was one of the best panel discussions we've had. It's Tom, for example, really new panellist. You're going to love him. Very sexy voice. Uh, very cool points. Oh, my God. Voice for radio, hello. And... Yeah, some really genuinely like, ooh, hang on, moments, really? Oh, okay, I didn't think about it like that, but now I do, at least certainly for me. But yeah, before I bring you the panel discussion, I just want to ask you for a favour. We've decided to try and expand the show, i.e. equipment and guests and calibre of guests, etc., etc., etc. We've got some amazing guests coming up, but we want to keep that happening. And the only real way we can do that is by... One, yeah, asking for your reviews on iTunes. Those five-star ratings are amazing and they really do help. But also, it's the age-old thing, man. We need a bit of the dollar. We need a bit of the dollar, okay? I'm telling you guys, this show needs it. Because we need some equipment. That's right, we do. Okay, so what we're going to ask you is we can ask, if you fancy it, you can do a monthly sort of subscription. You can donate as much as you like per month. Or you can just do a lump sum towards our target and at the moment we're asking to raise 500 pounds for a bit of uh, recording equipment if you feel like doing it and i really mean if this is not uh you, you know i'm not i'm not demanding that you do this how dare you you're a bad person if you don't if you just feel like helping grow this show and being part of this awesome limehouse family becoming a true limer then please visit patreon.com that's p a t r e com, and just donate how, how, however much you feel and it is going to go one heck of a long way to really taking this show to the next level and having you be a part of it like I said if you can go to the patron website look us up the Limehouse podcast and and donate whatever you feel is is uh, is right for you then please do and that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com okay guys on with the show and I hope you enjoy it, because I certainly freaking did. Right, I'm just going to start. Hello, and welcome back to the Lighthouse Podcast. This is your host, Dave Besant, former player for Wimbledon FC. Um, that's Knight Will. So I'm here with 
I'm here with a new gentleman. He oh. is recently signed from Sarajevo and San Francisco. His name is Tom King. Say hello, Tom. Hello, Tom. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> and George is here on my left. Say hello, George. Hello, George. Oh, my God. Sorry. We're okay. very obedient. Yeah, yeah, very, very. Um, so it's Tom's first appearance on the show. Um, and he's, I just literally learned that he got off a, a plane from San Francisco. Yes. How, what, how and why did you come here? I, I thought you would have said to me, Will, look, really, obviously, doing the Limehouse podcast is possibly one of the greatest honours of anyone's life. Yes. Um, but I have major jet lag issues. Can no. you do it another day? I don't have major jet lag issues. Also, far from it being one of the major honours of one's life, I think it's possibly the major honour that a Lib Dem supporter could hope for. Um, would, would you agree with that, George? Oh, well, what else is there? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Certainly at this stage. Yeah, okay. Right, anyway, enough of my crap. Um, there's something something going on with Pretty Patel, is that, is that correct? Well, the government is falling. It's just, it's end of days stuff. It's ridiculous. You How could long- say it's a bit like a house of something really fragile. What like um, House of Cards? House Something of- cardy, yeah, yeah, or feathery perhaps. Yeah, I, I mean, okay, so this has been going on. Pretty Patel went to Israel around August, and I think anybody listening to this show would would probably already have known what precisely. She had unfolded. the worst holiday ever. <laughs> she really didn't have a very good holiday. <laughs> She's like most people who go to Israel on holiday, they chill out at the beach, they go and see the Wailing <laughs> Wall. Do you know what I mean? Like she just like had wall to wall meetings, and in the context of her job. And I, you know, hats off to her. But um, and can you imagine anyone else? Imagine if you're like Dave, the call center manager, mm-hmm. right? And you go on holiday to Israel, and all you do is have meetings with call center managers back to back. That's basically the equivalent of what Pretty Patel did. She's so silly. She's so silly. And she had to resign for it. Yeah, well, rightly so. Yeah. Don't you think? Absolutely. I mean, it's a major security breach Yeah. for cabinet ministers to be going around behind people's backs, having mi- meetings with not just politicians, but prime ministers of other countries. Yeah. I, I tweeted something about, imagine if she'd gone to Moscow on holiday and secretly met Putin. I mean... That's the same thing. It's exactly the same thing. And also, can you imagine, like, you know, Theresa May is the Prime Minister. She's having a meeting with the Israeli Prime Minister and she doesn't know that this meeting has gone on. I mean, she's just made Theresa, her boss, look like a complete knob. If you make your boss look like a complete knob in any context, you're going to get fired. Yeah, I mean... and Well, unless you're in the government here. Yeah. In which case... You know, it goes on for days, you embarrass yourself and everyone else, and then you resign because your boss is too weak to fire you. But isn't, isn't there uh, some sort of um, something going around that suggests that Theresa May knew about this? It seems very complicated. So, okay. so, Sorry, before I actually get that out of you, can we just explain to those listening just what the hell we're talking about? Um, okay. Tom, do you want to explain? Try and take it from the top on this? Yeah, just okay. So, Priti Patel. Prominent Brexiteer, one of the Brexit, Brexit elite during the campaign, uh, became International Development Secretary at the Tory party conference last month, gave a speech widely regarded as a pitch for leadership, future leadership. And then, as you say, went to Israel, had these off-book secret meetings with prominent 
Israeli politicians, including the, the Prime Minister himself, Netanyahu. And then it, this came out that she'd had these meetings. Didn't, take, didn't have her officials with her, didn't inform the Foreign Office that she was doing this. Oh yeah, and the other, the other nice thing is that she apparently offered aid, humanitarian aid, to the Israeli army. That's the in, one I love. In That's... Golan Heights, which wow. is obviously a disputed uh, annexation. And actually one that the British government officially doesn't recognise. Yeah. So the so. idea that we would be funding Israeli troops in an area that we do not recognise they should be occupying. Mm-hmm. What a shit holiday. <laughs> so it's, really, it's a bad holiday on so many levels. It's a bad holiday for her. It's a bad holiday for everyone else. Makes Withnail and I look pretty okay. Yeah. <laughs> I've gone to Israel by accident. Yeah. Oh, and set up loads of meetings. So then oh. it comes out. Because, you know, they're all tweeting. I mean, I think that's how, it, you know, all these Israeli ministers that she's meeting are tweeting, being like, oh, great to meet Priti Patel, International Development Secretary. So the Foreign Office are like, why the hell is one of our ministers having all these meetings when we don't know about it? Oh my At the God. same time, Alistair Burt, who's the trade minister, is in Israel on an official visit and yeah. he doesn't know about it. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> it's just the most ridiculous thing in the world. It's the thick of it. Isn't it? Yeah, it is. It what, really is. Or maybe like the death of Stalin, so, something so like then, that. So then when she gets found out about it, she then lies about what she did actually do. And then it appears that she there was more to it. There were more meetings that she didn't disclose. Mm-hmm. Now, there is this story put out in the Jewish Chronicle today that actually this whole story about her lying and... Her, because what she she'd published a list of her meetings and then they found out there was another me- few meetings that she didn't declare. And that the Jewish Chronicle are saying that actually Theresa May knew about all the meetings, but she told Priti Patel not to disclose all of them because it would embarrass Boris Johnson and the Foreign Office because they didn't know about them. I mean, I just think that's all pretty far-fetched. In both these, obviously, both the accounts <laughs> like can't be right, right? Well, they're worried about embarrassing <laughs> Boris Johnson. Well, it seems like Theresa May is worried about... I mean, if, if May did know about these meetings and she wanted Patel's team to, to declare only some of them, that implies, you know, May was trying to go round Boris Johnson in some way, which seems to be the line that Patel's team is kind of briefing out. Yeah. Um, which, which is absurd, right? It is because absurd. Theresa May is the Prime Minister. She doesn't need to go around Boris Johnson. She just needs to tell him what to do. And if he doesn't do it, she needs to fire him, right? Yeah. And she needs Which to, we'll come on to, by the way. <laughs> she needs to put somebody else in there. But, I mean, to put it into perspective, when was the last time a Foreign Secretary or anybody within... Boris Johnson's oh, I hate to use the word calibre because I don't want to associate that with that idiot but um, sorry nasty man should we say but um, when was the last time someone was really put in their place sacked in that like that with, with that much calibre well last week with Michael Fallon but he, he resigned so there, there seems to be yeah. a theme developing which is you know these cabinet ministers who get themselves into situations of difficulty in some way are allowed to go sort of under their own terms to an extent. Like today, ridiculous with Patel flying back early from her trip to Africa, everyone watching the plane minute by minute traveling through the air. There were 22,000 people logged yeah. onto the flight tracker site. <laughs> Someone tweeted about, you know, this explains UK's productivity problem better than most things, um, <laughs> which I have some sympathy with. But anyway, you know, she, she, you know, everyone's talking about, obviously she's going to get sacked, obviously she's going to get sacked. She turns up at Downing Street, they have a half hour meeting, and then she's allowed to resign, you know, on her own terms. And I, I feel like May spinning this out as long as she does, and then allowing someone to go on their own terms, loses any sense of 
decision making or you know, taking weak. control. She looks incredibly weak. Yeah, she looks unbelievably weak. It was such a sackable offence, and if she can't sack somebody for doing that, then what is she going to? You know, what what would you have to do to yeah. get sacked in the May government? Mm. There well, was even I, a BuzzFeed quiz, you know, asking <laughs> that very question. <laughs> I just, yeah, no, it does baffle me. But should we turn our? And the uh, other thing you've go got to say, right, is that if May honestly thought that she could tell Pretty Patel to half disclose the meetings and thought it would never come out that the other ones in the middle of a scandal about her not disclosing stuff she's she's mad mm. frankly so, uh, it seems to me like this is a lot of this is actually designed to take the heat off Johnson should himself be out on his ear yeah for what he's done the last couple of weeks so should we should we, should we talk about that then do you want to guide us through that Tom so Johnson made a gaffe so-called before a committee I can't remember which committee it was but he was in parliament and basically referred to a British Iranian citizen who's already uh, in prison in Iran um, having been training journalists which uh, she has been vehemently denying but then because he said that that's been taken by the Iranian government as evidence that she's been doing extra bad stuff which they've then taken as a justification to potentially lengthen her prison sentence yeah and the worst thing about this is she was given a five year prison sentence and she was due to be released this month mm-hmm. yeah and and this is another five years and yeah. this is another five years and so that's the British Foreign Secretary by misspeaking or actually speaking incorrectly not just misspeaking but giving false information yeah allowing a foreign government to put a British citizen at risk and then was it yesterday? And then denying that he said anything wrong. It clearly wasn't a joke when he said it anyway. Yeah. You know, and it's clearly yeah. just an, an, an error. She was training journalists. Worst joke ever. Yeah. 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 <laughs> There's not even any Latin in it. Yeah. Come on, Boris. Yeah. What's what's the punchline? What, what is that the punchline for? Well, no, I just think he's just like, look, you know, I mean, it's all right. I mean, you know, look, you don't understand. It's a gentleman's club and we're all allowed to have a little, little bit of fun now and then. And I think that's the kind of, that's what we've put up with for so many years. But do you guys ever feel that he's, he is untouchable? For some reason, he for some reason, will not get rid of him. I, I don't know. He has some pictures of something. <laughs> yeah. Because how else would he manage to survive that long? Well, you never know. You never know. <laughs> Pitches go a long way, man. Pitches go a long way. Um, but no, no, I mean, we've we spent quite a little bit of time, like, lambasting Pretty Patel, but we haven't really dug into to Johnson. I mean, there is a background there. Of- he is an inveterate pathological liar Yeah. who has used that ability, which it is an ability in politics, to sadly ascend almost to the highest rung of, of, of British politics and is now seemingly unassailable. It does seem that there is overlap between him and Patel in the sense that they were both very, very prominent members of the Vote Leave campaign. Yeah. And clearly Theresa May, <clears throat> when she became Prime Minister, had this kind of strategy, if we're going to use that very kind word, to appoint senior Brexiteers, Brexit elites, into important departments. So Liam Fox, the disgraced Liam Fox, comes back. David Davis, who's shown no real aptitude for anything political for almost a decade now. Yeah. yeah. Um, obviously, Johnson and, and Patel and even Michael Gove is, is now back in the cabinet as well. Yeah. So clearly that was, you know, May's, May's thinking was, I'll surround myself as a Remainer with these very prominent levers and sort of manage the party in that way. And that's really what this comes down to. It's all, it's all factional in in party fighting and I suppose that's what Brussels are really looking at aren't they 
Well, and, you know, to be honest, she had to do that, right? She did have to bring in the levers into the cabinet. But the problem is that the levers are just all so bonkers. I mean, because they were advocating a policy which is so clearly mad, uh, based on no evidence. uh, And therefore, but, you know, but you can't run a government on that. You know, you can't just run a government on hope and... She's doing a pretty good job at it, though. I mean, in terms of running a government on the fly. Well, I mean, I think this kind of does show up with the issue with... Corbyn and the Labour I mean I just can't imagine that another opposition would be giving the government such a free ride mm. um, because I would just think other oppositions would be making mincemeat so of, we, what of we, the government currently because they're just in such a mess but there doesn't seem to be any but it's, it's almost hard managed. what would you do as leader of the opposition right now though because there's so many scandals so many issues flying into the face of the government at all times what, what would you pick well, I think what you have to do is you have to pick some kind of... Seeing that they're so weak at the moment, you then just have to pick some very tough wedge issues that you know are going to divide the other side and just be shameless about it. You know, Stella Creasy and the Queen's speech debate, and she just played such a blinder in just picking the issue of um, abortion rights in Northern Ireland, which just blew a hole in the centre yeah. of the DUP... Tory coalition one billion and that one backbench MP managed to achieve huge amounts in terms of changing government policy because she saw the political opportunity and really went for it and you know she didn't do that in an opportunist way it was just something she really believed in and cared about passionately I mean that is she's a great politician in that sense you know if she was running the Labour Party right now that's where they would be doing that sort of stuff all of the time so what's going well why aren't I mean? I mean, it's it's an interesting point that you've made there, actually, because thinking about it, what you just said, I don't I don't think I've I've actually got much from Corbyn on this one. I mean, it's, you know, it's like last week he went on tax avoidance issue because he knew that this Panama Papers stuff was coming up. Clearly, mm. not Panama Papers, Paradise Papers. Paradise Papers. But the kind of general view was that he hadn't really dealt a blow. Yeah. Let's let's move on to the Paradise Paradise Papers. Right. Welcome back. We're going to talk about the Paradise Papers because George Turner... um, Actually, you know what we're going to do? We're going to have Tom describe what happened and then you can just weigh in on the facts and stuff. Because I don't know what happened. All I know is that I've I can breathe and I can dress myself. Okay, but that's about all. That's I a can good do. start. That's all we can really ask from each other. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what happened, Tom? Okay, so Paradise Papers. Um, for background, I used to work till very recently for the Organised Crime and Corruption Reporting Project, which is actually the one of the investigative journalism networks involved in the Paradise Papers. Um, and the Paradise Papers, what they are, is a massive leak of do you, documents. Do you know Robert De Niro? I don't. Okay. Not personally. Sorry, carry on. I'll carry on. Um, so massive leak of papers from a company called Appleby, which is a very long-time uh, provider of what's euphemistically called fiduciary services to the wealthy of the world. Uh, and that basically means structures to help you avoid your tax or minimise your tax liability, depending on how you want to put it. Or hide your money from criminal investigation. Yes. Shut, shut up, George. Tom's talking. Yes. <laughs> well, Such a good, asshole. It's a good gloss. I'm okay. giving you the, the sort of company line on that. So, uh, much as with the Panama Papers about a year and a half ago, you've got um, 
a German newspaper receiving the leak, taking it to this other organisation called the International Consortium of Investigative Journalists. They all have stupid acronyms, ICIJ. Uh, and then ICIJ organised lots and lots of news organisations around the world to pour over this massive leak of documents, find out which individuals are in them, which companies are in them. So we've been seeing the, the Queen's investments are in there, Prince Charles, um, Apple, yeah, um, lots and lots of politicians, wealthy people, okay, names we all recognise. Yeah, and George, where did you pick this up, man? Where did you get involved in this? Because I know you've been all over the, I don't know, you were saying you're going to be on South Korean TV and stuff. Yeah, well, so I work for the Tax Justice Network, and the Tax Justice Network kind of campaigns, and there's a research organisation that looks at offshore finance, yeah, and so on. So um, me and some other colleagues. Uh, a few months ago were brought in by some of the news organisations who had access to the Paradise Papers to advise them on what they were seeing. Um, So I've been doing that, yeah. I was on BBC Scotland on Tuesday night, the glamour. Nice. um, In their investigation, which was really great um, looking at. I mean, that was really interesting stuff they had. They were looking at property investments in the UK and how they're structured through Jersey and Luxembourg in order to avoid taxation. So, I mean, your involvement, when you you said that this was going to be a big deal, I got quite excited. And it just seems to me that a lot of the public have kind of, they haven't tuned out, but they've kind of gone... Yeah, we kind of know this is happening anyway. We, yeah. we don't mind being screwed. Why Why is it kind of like going by? Why are people like letting this one sail by, if they are? It just doesn't seem like it's hard-hitting. As, uh, yeah, I think they might... There's, we're getting to a stage a little bit of kind of leak fatigue, right? Because this is, you know, we've had Paradise Papers before we had the Panama Papers. Yeah. Before that, we had Swiss leaks, which was HSBC Switzerland got got busted. Before that, we had BVI leaks when the BVI company registry or a company service provider from the BVI, British Virgin Islands, okay. that was hacked into. Uh, and then there was one even before that, I think. So, you know, basically for the last four years, we've had like a whole set of these data stories coming mm-hmm. out. And they do kind of follow a similar pattern and the revelations in them are kind of the same. Yeah. Uh, although I have to say, I kind of think the ones in this Paradise Papers leak are possibly the most serious we've seen. And what? What? And why would you say that? So you know, a lot of the stuff in the, the Panama Papers and stuff. I mean, from the UK audience point of view, was a bit like, oh, this looks a bit dodgy, but what is it really happening? And you know, it's just kind of guilt by association, a lot of it, etc. But you know, you look at the kind of Mrs. Brown's boys, the actors in Mrs. Brown Boys, uh, who um, I mean. Are getting paid millions, um, and it's shit as well. Well, that was somebody says like, how does anyone in that show have two million to avoid? It's like yeah. it's honking. There's a huge <laughs> market though for broad, terrible comedy. Sorry, uh, as a side. But so what? So, what they were doing is they were basically saying, right, don't pay me to my UK bank account for my job. Just pay this Mauritius company instead. And then the Mauritius company was loaning back the money at zero interest rates with no nothing to repay mm. uh, with no uh, responsibility to repay so basically disguising these earnings as loans mm. and that's pretty serious what? tax well i mean that's kind of heading towards tax evasion if you ask well, me so my my sorry tom but my my thing my how much illegality has there been mm. and is this not just about real wholesale reform that's required 
you know, how serious is it and versus you know, how much reforms required? Yeah, so I think that's a really good question. I think one of the reasons that we get kind of fatigue about this is because the natural response to these stories is that, yes, look, this is this is very suspicious activity, but no one can be proven to have done anything illegal. As George says, that's not necessarily the case in this this leak, but I think part of the problem we have is that the media naturally ends up talking about individuals rather than pointing out that this is a systemic abuse um, and it may not be illegal, but it's certainly unethical. But neither of those things is really relevant. The really relevant thing is that it's secrecy. Wherever there's secrecy, there's potential for abuse. What we should be aiming for is sufficient transparency that we know what's happening to money on a large scale, and we're talking billions and trillions of dollars around the world, and also what effect that has on politics. And I mean all sorts of politics. I don't mean necessarily national politics, but I mean the kind of Trump connections to Russia, the Brexit campaign, where both of those things appear to have taken on this secretive offshore finance angle and no one really understands how all of these bits fit together yet and that's because there's so much secrecy in the system yeah that's that's really good point that's that's pretty terrifying yeah we don't know what's going on so Hmm. the, the the point is in a democracy you want to be able to make decisions based on very clear very transparent information about the people you're voting for yeah. And we just do not have that. Even in Western democracies, like mature Western democracies, we do not have that information. Yeah. We cannot possibly know the extent of Trump's business dealings. And I, I'm, not, I'm not saying at all that last year the result would have been different if we'd had that information. But I do think people should have had that information. So do you want to pick up on Wil- Wilbur Ross? Well, yeah, so it was Wilbur Ross basically was found to... He's the Commerce Secretary for Trump. He's a billionaire investor. He's been a long-term billionaire and he was found to have some investments which were joint ventures with Vladimir Putin's son. Alarm bells. And there's a kind of... And there's there's allegation that he didn't disclose this. He says that he did disclose this. You know, we'll see what happens. But um, it's not just that. You know, a week before the Paradise Papers were released, you had the criminal indictment of um, Trump's campaign manager yeah. for being a criminal agent of a foreign state. Right, <laughs> and a money launderer, and a money launderer, and that was all using offshore. Yeah. And I think that's kind of the reason, you know, that is the real irony in some of this stuff, which is that I think the, one of the reasons why Trump uh, happened and Brexit happened and so on is people are thoroughly pissed off with the way the elite runs its affairs, and mm. they have this vision that there's this kind of group of people who don't play by the rules don't really care about paying taxes, they are massively wealthy, they're not connected to the real world, they don't experience life in the same way that massive people experience life, the difficulties of life and so on. And they just wanted to tear down that whole atmosphere by just telling them all to go and fuck themselves by voting for Brexit, voting for Trump, you know, just piss off the elite. What all this is showing is that the people they voted for, you know, the people who are pro-Brexit, the Lord Ashcrofts of the world, the Trumps of the world, etc., are deep into the very kind of structures that are annoying people to the extent that they vote for these people in the first place. And that's the real tragedy of this situation, you know. Farage and all those people managed to convince the world that they were these kind of insurgents when they are the most elitist group of people that you can find on the planet. Yeah, and the the further irony of... So, before Tom makes this next set of 
massively important points, which, by the way, are easily the best points of the show. Not that it's a competition. It really is. It had me with goosebumps on my skin because, you know, it really does just say exactly how it is. This is the way this system is built and how it's how it's set out, um, whether we like it or not. But before we do this, go go back to this point, I just want to remind you, you're listening to the Limehouse podcast and we love you so much and we want to carry on this wonderful project and and with your support the best way you can support us and back us is by leaving a five-star review on itunes so a five-star review on itunes would be amazing and it goes such a long way so guys without any further ado i'll i'll hand back to tom thank you very much and those reviews really go a long way so thank you very much most of these people are preaching this populist kind of nationalism, right? So the point of that is not as you would think, and as they've convinced people that they're proud of their countries and that they want to make America great again or that they want to make Britain a proud global nation standing on its own two feet without any need for some supranational bureaucracy. That's the, that's the message that they've managed to convince people of, but it's not what they benefit from. What they benefit from is the differences between national jurisdictions, right? They arbitrage this shit, okay? So that's what they're doing. Yeah. They're seeing, oh, here's the corporation tax rate in Ireland, here's the corporation tax rate in the UK, here's the corporation tax rate in Jersey. This is how I can best arrange my own affairs to take advantage of these jurisdictional differences. And the EU terrifies them for that reason, right? Because it's something Cause that- countries coordinating with each yeah. other to close the loops. And the course. more that that happens around the world, the more scared they are because mm. they have fewer and fewer places to hide. Yeah. And that's why these leaks are so important. And even if there is this kind of fatigue amongst ordinary people like us, we might not want to read these stories every single day. They're 2,000 words long and they're really like hard to understand. But it's vital that these leaks keep getting written up and keep getting investigated because each time it happens, policymakers and advocates have more information on how these people are, are moving their assets around. Yeah. Well, I think the uh, the point you made at the beginning about how like everyone says all the time... That's, it's all that's perfect- Tom's point, by the way, yeah. not mine. So yeah. about people saying this is all p- perfectly legal. You know, I think that is part of the problem, is that the way that you know, journalists, in order to cover themselves, in order to prevent themselves from being sued for uh, libel, will put a rider at the end of every article saying and all this is perfectly legal because then it becomes a moral question and anyone's free to have an opinion on morality yeah. but if you get it wrong that they're doing something legal when they're not doing something legal or the sorry rather, rather the other way around then that guy can conceive a libel and you lose your house and everything so they always add this rider whether it's true or not that these people are doing stuff which is legal yeah. which is the real problem and so at that point People kind of get it, get it in their mind that that you know when they say this is illegal, this is legal sounds this is like this is sanctioned by the government, like this is the kind of thing the government encourages people to do, and then they lose faith in government because mm. you know this is happening all the time. But the reality is, you know, tax avoidance, even the legal tax avoidance, tax avoidance is defined as taking a course of action which may be following the letter of the law but is not following the spirit of the law. It's basically abusing loopholes, abusing the unintended consequences of legislation. It is abusive, Hmm. even if it is legal. Uh, And it is certainly not what the government intends people to do. Uh, And for that reason, 
it is wrong. So um, where, where's the root source of this then? Where, 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 what, what are people, fundamental question here, but what are people going to law school and going, hey? A lot of these companies are, you know, essentially legal firms. So when Mos- Mossack Fonseca in the Panama Papers is essentially a legal firm. When does an 18-year-old join university and then suddenly decide, not suddenly, but along the way become corrupted? Well, when I think the thing is people justify themselves, mm-hmm. their actions in different ways, right? So... Um, it was interesting. I went to the APPG the other day. What's all that? Par- sorry, all, par- all party parliamentary group on responsible taxation. It's run by Margaret Hodge. They started talking about this uh, Paradise Papers, and then there was the this new MP who I fig- I didn't catch the name of from Hitchin and Harpenden, uh, and he was saying, "Well, I used to be a city lawyer, and I'm very familiar with these structures, and you know, I don't think it is what people are making out to be. There's lots of good reasons for these structures, blah blah." And Margaret Hodge said, well, what are the good reasons that these things happen and these things are structured in this way? And his response was, well, you know, there's, it's a less pressurised regulatory environment and stuff. And, you know, that sounds very nice. Like, it's a less pressurised regulatory environment, right? You know, <laughs> That's nuts. What does that mean in practice? <laughs> that means there are fewer rules so we can do what we like. Yes. Right? And, and you know, if somebody just put it like that, would that ever be acceptable? Like, so why do you use the Cayman Islands? Well, because basically they've got no rules, so we can do what the fuck we like. <laughs> People would look at you and just be like, no, you can't, no, no that's not like the, the actions of a normal human but being. But he spelt it out. You was, know. Uh, yeah, socially conscious human being. Yeah. But people are very willing to... Like, at the end of the day, you go into law, right? And you go into corporate law. There's not a load of money in doing ethical corporate law right there's not a load of money in that you're going to be ending up like what you're doing is you're going to be working for big corporate clients and they're going to be asking you how to save on taxation and all that sort of stuff so how do you justify it to yourself what you say is like oh well these places are innovative so we can do more innovative oh i can understand how bad people can use these places but we're not bad people it's a bit like you know i have used to live in italy and i had friends who would say like I understand drink driving's bad, but I'm a really good driver, so it's okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a really good analogy, actually. That's a good way of, of putting it. Sorry, Tom, did you yeah. want to... Yeah, I mean, I guess I see this from a from a different angle as well, which is essentially... Just and let, them, let them do what they want to do. No, 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 yeah. no. Just in terms of like where this money's often coming from, one of the things that goes unnoticed in the world is that tons of this offshore money is coming out of developing economies. So places like Azerbaijan mm-hmm. or Kenya or Nigeria or Russia, you know, they have up to 50%, sometimes more of their economy in this offshore shadow world, Yeah. right? So it's, it's coming out of those countries and going into weird structures that no one really understands and are often owned by very powerful people within those countries, right? So it's essentially being stolen, right? Because there's often no no reasonable explanation for how those people end up with those kinds of assets. Yeah. And we often, you know, the whole debate around international aid in the UK or in the US is like very, it's like 0.7% of GDP, very virtuous. The total sum of aid in the world going to developing economies is like $140 billion a year. There's probably 10 times that at least coming out of those countries, right? So the whole aid thing is just a fig leaf. Like it's, it's it's a compensation payment that we are we're paying to sort of salve our own consciences because it's London and New York that are enabling this, right? Uh, London is built on this kind of enabling 
industry, this pinstripe brigade of, of very sort of reasonable, respectful looking, re- respectable looking people who are actually enabling systematic abuse of citizens in other countries. And then on top of that, you have people, these same people who are stealing this money from, from developing world are investing it or laundering it into London, right? Yeah. So, or into high-end property. So it's a double whammy. Citizens in all those countries along that chain, including the UK and the US, are getting hit. Because it infects our politics. Yes. Can I, can I just people... say that's marvellous from Tom? Yeah. That was good. Yeah. Gave me goosebumps, actually. That was very good. It's but actually it was... the biggest problem that faces the world, in my opinion, is, yeah. this, is this very issue. Well, and, and, you know, that's the next step on from what Tom's saying is that it infects our politics. Yeah. So you have a whole industry of people based in London who think this is a good way of doing business or I not even this is a good way of doing business. This is how I make money. Yeah. They're not going to be lobbying the government for more responsible tax and financial policies, which means that we people living in the UK have to suffer from less responsible tax and financial policies as well. And this is ultimately the kernel of Brexit, right? The the reason that Brexit is happening right now is because of this, right? The people that matter in the Vote Leave campaign, the people that matter in terms of financing it and leading it, benefit the most from this state of affairs. Yeah. If Britain leaves the EU... The inevitable consequence of that politically, it seems, is that we become essentially like Andrea Leadsom famously referred to it as Singapore on stilts. Yeah. Right. This idea that we cut corporation tax to ten percent or zero percent, we become essentially a, a an offshore tax haven, way bigger than we are currently. Like way less regulated. A lot of the rules that currently pertain, because we're part of the EU, no longer have to pertain. And we just become this kind of powerhouse of corruption. Yeah. And even more so than we already are. How are the, the electorate? When, when the hell are we going to wake up to that? Like, they, they, they think it's about sovereignty. They think it's about, you know, taking back control of our borders, uh, pumping more money into our NHS. But in reality, it is, if you do... Well, I think the problem is that, very sadly, we don't really live in a country where the views of the public matter that much because we are not a true democracy. Like, without sounding too much like a kind of tinfoil hat type person, but bear with me a second, you know, like this guy, Jared Amara, they've just elected in in Sheffield, in Nick Clegg's seat. You know, were people really choosing the best representative for them? Mm. Or were they picking the Labour candidate regardless of who the Labour candidate was? So... And then who chooses? So basically you think in so many of our seats across the country, people are basically, their choice that they have is who should be your MP, but the choice they're making is what party do I like? So the quality of the person that represents them is kind of nothing to do with their vote. It's everything to do with the party selection processes. Mm -hmm. And then you look at the party selection processes and they're pretty piss poor, right? Like, you know, in, in Sheffield, they just had like a paper selection process where everyone, instead of CVs, this guy looks okay, we'll stick him in. 
he becomes one of the 650 people in the country who gets to decide on everything. Yeah, and shock horror, his background is horrendous. And that's the kind of... And those are the competitive seats, right? Mm. Then you've got, like, another 400 seats across the country. I'm making these figures up in my head, but, you know, the amount of competitive seats are a minority, where it's just the same party every time. So, really, if you think about it, who selects their MP? It's the Labour Party members in that constituency or the Conservative Party members in that constituency. So you're talking about maybe a couple of hundred people at most who are deciding who the MP is in each... I mean, it's just worse than rotten boroughs. Yeah. Uh, And so at that point, when you've got such a disconnect between what the public view is and who represents them, Mm -hmm. then actually it doesn't really matter what the public's view is and stuff sadly mm. and that's leaving aside the fact that the two big parties agree on Brexit right? yeah yeah and so so, <laughs> <laughs> so like so Corbyn stands up last week and goes on tax avoidance at Prime Minister's questions but he's supporting the thing that will most assist tax avoidance <laughs> yeah well and but conversely I actually wanted to say when you were saying that it's, it's true that there's this huge risk that we become this offshore tax haven after after Brexit but at the same time, the fascinating thing is that the UK leaving the European Union might be the thing that allows the European mo- Union to move forward. That's true. On ending tax avoidance within the European area. And the fact that they're doing that in itself would stop us turning into a tax haven because the EU could take the view that they will be punitive against tax havens. They will basically start punishing tax havens. Uh, and at that point, if they start putting up trade barriers to tax havens, if they start doing that sort of stuff, then it will be very difficult for the UK to become a tax haven. So we're talking about like basically dismantling the financial structure of London, a city of the centre of almost, well, I suppose the centre of the universe in terms of money, uh, what do you call it, laundering? Well, yeah, I mean, Roberto yeah. Saviano, <laughs> yeah. who was the great chronicler of the mafia in Italy, yeah, so said, if that's dismantled... And if, he said know. that the biggest money laundering centre in the world was London. OK, well, on that note, uh, we're going to say good, good night. And I hope you've really enjoyed Tom. Tom is uh, obviously a new panellist. Very excited. Tom, do you want to say... Uh, yeah, it's been a great uh, experience to be on. I hope I'll be asked again at some point. You, and, um, you will be. Yeah, thanks for listening. Yeah, and George, say say goodbye or something. Say, say something poignant. <laughs> I just said goodbye in Croatian. What, I know what more you do you did. want? You've already done it before. Oh, have I done it? You've done it once mm. before. It's lost its sheen. Okay, ciao. Uh, okay. Arrivederci. We all say goodbye and we wish you well. <laughs>
P-A-T-R-E-O-N. P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com. Patreon.com. Like I said, you can set up a, a weekly or a monthly a donation, or you can even just do a lump sum, and we are aiming to raise 500 quid to get some amazing equipment. With your help, this podcast will become even better than it already is. So, I hope you have a great weekend. I hope you have a great uh, rest of the day, night, evening. I hope your gym session's great. I hope running around in circles is great for you. It's not for me. It's not for everyone. I prefer to go down to the pub. In fact, I'm out to watch Escapist tonight, a great indie rock band. So, you know, that's just what I thought I'd bring to you there. And uh, I suppose on that note, I'll probably just call it quits. And uh, yeah, see ya. Thanks. Bye.